Hello Knockouts, Tanya TKO here, and we are here with episode number two of Goddess Off The Grid. Right now, I'm in a little rancher town in Southern California, and it's hot as all get out. But this podcast right here is cooling me off because we're going to be jumping into some very hot topics. We're going to be talking about old dead-eyed Amber Geiger again. And I'm going to tell you the body language signs that I saw, which has led me to believe that that woman is lying. We're also going to hear from two jurors, one of whom I think is in the sunken place. And they're going to describe why they decided to give Amber Geiger such a lenient sentence. We're also going to be covering the murder of a key witness who was set to testify in the prosecution's case. And in the second segment, we're going to talk about a post that I put up on my page from a black man and his opinion about child support and what child support is for. And in the third segment, we are going to hear an Ask Tanya TKO letter from a young lady, but she's caught in a one-sided love affair out in Tokyo, and she wants to know what to do. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be right back. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure that you're on my personal mailing list and make sure that you share and leave a voice message so that I can include that in a future episode. So we'll be right back. Okay, Amber Geiger. If you don't know who she is by now, listen to podcast number one, where I go into fuller detail about who she is. But basically, she's the white police officer who burst into this black man's apartment, shot him dead, got charged with murder, sentenced to 10 years, which means she'll probably serve five. And then the brother was hugging her. The judge was hugging her and giving her gift Bibles. The bailiff was rubbing and stroking her hair and all around it was just gigantic forgive fest and it was just a ridiculous scenario well I got a chance to actually look at the footage of Amber testifying on the stand and something ain't right with that woman something is not right with her I want you to go take a look at the testimony it's on YouTube if you look at the extended version of it when she first gets there on the stand you can see that there's a vacancy in her eyes her eyes are hollow and dead. I personally believe that she may be a sociopath, a psychopath, something just is not right with that woman. And I'm going to I'm going to tear apart her testimony in just a moment. She got on the stand and she wincing and ugly crying and making this face. And I want you to go check and see how her forehead never moved once. And you know how when people talk about the difference between a fake smile and a real smile is that the eyes are involved. Take a look at her crying there on the stand. Her eyes are not involved in it. And according to body language experts, one of the key things that that exist in people who are remorseful and who have the type of shame that she said that she had. They bow their head down. When they're crying, they attempt to cover their face. Think about yourself when you cry and you're saddened or embarrassed by what it is that you've done or even saddened and embarrassed by the fact that you're crying. You tilt your head down low. You try to cover your eyes. You use your hand to try to cover. Her, her hand touched her face twice, once to scratch where one of the, the moistness from the tear was on her face. So she wanted to scratch, it's probably itching, you know, from how she was blinking her eyes to try to squeeze the water out. And then the next time that she touched her face was again to as a scratch on her chin. When she was testifying and she was talking about how she wished it was her and she was visibly shaking her head no, which is a body language contradiction to what it is that the speaker is saying. So she's shaking her head no, she's giving this testimony. And instead of bowing her head with the shame or even trying to wipe her tears, take a look. She never tried to wipe her tears. The person had to offer her tissue and then that's when she went to go pat some of it dry. But before that, I mean, just please, I want you to just take some time to look at a person crying. A person who is remorseful, their head is down low, they're guffawing into their hands, they're, they're wiping their tears away, they're, they're attempting to cover, but not her. She had her face wide open. Why? Because she wanted you to see the tears. She wanted you to see this, this pain that she was feigning. As she shook her head no, the involuntary head shaking no. And then instead of the head tilting down for shame, notice it tilted up. Chin jutting forward is a body language sign of rage. Not remorse, 
but rage, rage and defiance. And then she finishes off her testimony with, this wasn't an act of hate. This was a person being, who said, any, who said anything about this being an act of hate? You're guilty? What are you talking? She's just coming out of nowhere talking about, this wasn't an act of hate. Oh, you adding stuff now, ma'am. You adding. And the stuff that you're adding is very telltale. I'm going to tell you all what I think happened. I think this was some sort of initiation. I think that she's a member of, and remember, these thoughts are my own. I, these have not been verified and everything that I'm saying is, is alleged. I personally believe that this must be some sort of initiation to some sort of underground group that she was hoping to prove herself to, to get to the next level, to rise up in the ranks. I can imagine that when this woman goes into prison, that she is going to be covered and protected by the Aryan nation on the inside. I can imagine that she will be considered one of their sisters and that she is going to be well taken care of, not only by them, but by other undercover people who are in law enforcement. Let's go forward. I think that this was an initiation of sorts where the task was to commit the most egregious, most offensive, most cut and dry form of domestic racial terrorism and work on getting away with it. Because she probably could have run up on someone in the middle of the night and, and buck shots at them. And we're going to talk about the young man who was a witness who was also killed, but she could have done it anonymously or whatever but she probably had something to prove. How can I create the most flagrant offense and work on getting away with it? So she burst into someone's home and shot him in his home with the defense of, I was scared. I thought he was going to kill me. Now listen, remember she was in an apartment building. You go to your apartment inside of an apartment building with internal hall hallways, not motel style, Internal hall hallways, which means there's a door on this side, a door on that side, a door right next to, and doors all along the corridor. You see that the door is open and you think that someone may be inside your apartment. What do you do? Scared for your life? You go bursting in? Not a knock on anyone else's door telling other people to call the police? Sooner or later, the person has to come out, don't they? They got to come out. We're talking about she was supposedly, what, on the fifth floor? How were they going to get down? They got to come back out. And then, really, after work time, a burglary right there when everybody is home? It just doesn't make any sense. And you're so frightened that you go in there with the person that you think wants to kill you? None of this is really adding up. If you take it at face value, we got news reporters who are repeating this nonsense that she's saying. The officer who went into the wrong apartment, no, she's claiming she went into the wrong apartment. So Joshua Brown was 28 years old. He testified in the Amber Geiger case. He was the one person who was brave enough to come forward on the record in the courthouse and testify against her. He says that he heard some talking up the hall and it sounded like two people having a chance encounter who didn't know that they were going to bump into each other. So he said that the people sounded as if they knew one another in passing and that they bumped into each other but weren't really expecting to see each other. And then he heard two shots. He was set to testify in the prosecution's case on the civil side. But three days after the verdict came down, he was found ambushed and shot in the mouth in the back alley, right at his apartment building. Witnesses say that they saw a silver sedan slinking off tinted windows. I'm like, this case just keeps getting more and more fishy. Shooting someone in the mouth? If that's not a message, then what is? As if to say, shut your mouth, you're doing too much talking. And you know what, I feel terrible because on the one hand, why was this witness's name, face, and likeness spread all across the news in the first damn place? We are so, in this country, we are so all about making all of these private details public. This person's identity should have been protected. And this is part of the reason that more people don't come forward. Is it worth it? Or were there other people who would have come forward, but they were threatened? Something about this just stinks to high heaven. 
We have right before the sentencing, we got the brother crying and begging to hug her. We got the judge hugging her up. Oh, and that judge is being sued, by the way. I'm going to get the details of who's suing her. But she's being sued. She's being sued by an organization that advocates for the adherence to the separation of church and state. And they feel that what she did inside of the courtroom was completely inappropriate. And as I said last week, I believe it was too. You're a doggone judge. You're coming down off of the bench, handing out gifts to the convicted murderer, hugging her. Even if she pulled you into an embrace, why are your bodies touching? It's like something just seems fishy here. Then we got Botham John's father talking about how he'd like to be Amber's friend one day. I don't know. Were they compromised? Were they compromised by the same assassins who took out Joshua Brown? This just, none of this makes any sense. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Were the witnesses tampered with? Was the judge tampered with? Was she biased? Remember, remember the judge issued an unprecedented castle doctrine to be able to be applied in this case. And the castle doctrine is a person is able to defend their home even to the death, which would have given Amber an out. Oh, she was defending her home, what she thought was her home. This is what I'm saying. None of this makes any sense. You go to a door, you work 14 hours. 14 hours is nothing. 14 hours for me is a damn Monday. What you talking about? I work 14 hours consistently. Come on. So you come home, you got gauze and stuff inside of your bag, but you don't use the gauze. You don't try to resuscitate him in any way. You burst into somebody else's apartment. This is her testimony. And she was afraid that the man was going to kill her. Why go inside? You that scared B? You a trained officer, trained to shoot. And you so damn scared? And then, not only that, she was texting people afterwards. Talking about, oh, she needed someone she could trust. Oh, she was texting, texting her partner. Oh, yes, I bet. I bet. I could imagine that this woman has more than one phone and that there is some text that we just don't know about. She probably was texting the, the Grandmaster Wizard talking about it's done. It's done. I've spoken to other people and they feel like this whole case has to do with the Illuminati. I don't know how none of them are famous. Or maybe some of them want to become famous and this was the blood sacrifice. Who knows? Who knows? I spoke to somebody else who felt like the family is in smiles and forgiveness mode now because they're going to get paid. But jokes on them that now the key witness is now gone, taken from this earth. So now let's hear from the jurors and why they decided to give her such a lenient sentence. Because remember, they gave her 10 years, which most likely means she'll only serve five. I think that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. This morning, two of the jurors who found former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger guilty of murdering Botham John are speaking out. There's no way we can ever know what he would want, but I think we all had to make a decision that we could live with and that our conscience could be sound with. The diverse jury made up of eight women and four men, all of varying ethnicities, sentenced Amber Geiger to 10 years behind bars. These jurors telling us the decision was not an easy one. There was a lot of crying. A lot of crying. When we were told to go decide between five and life, that was like, we didn't have words. Prosecutors were asking for 28 years. They were. Um, you all landed at 10. After hearing about how his family talked about him, he seemed like just the light in their lives and he was kind and just forgiving. caring and forgiving. And I, I said, I told everyone, I was like, I'm really having a hard time with this because we all agree that it was a mistake and I don't think, I, th I don't think Bo would want to take harsh vengeance. I think he would want to forgive her and I felt I didn't feel like I had any right to speak for him, and he isn't there to talk for himself. But listening to how people talked about him, I felt like he would forgive her. They asked for 28 years, and I'm gonna be honest and, and true. I was like, I can't give her 28 years. I know a lot of people are not happy about the 10 years, but I felt like, you know, for this case was not like any other case. You can't compare this case to any of those other officers killing unarmed black men. 
those officers that killed unarmed black men, when they got out, they went back to living their lives. Amber Geiger, ever since she killed that man, she has not been the same. She showed remorse in that she's going to have to deal with that for the rest of her life. Can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. It was this moment of grace and forgiveness to Geiger from John's brother, Brandt, that has the jurors convinced they made the right decision. We found out this morning about what his brother did, and it kind of it kind of helped us uh, feel like we ended up with the right decision. One thing that Batum can teach us all is that we should all love each other instead of hate each other. And I, and I honestly think that if Batum would have just got shot and not killed, I think he would have forgiven Amber Geiger. Did you hear that? How one of the jurors was calling him Bo, like they're on a first name basis. And then the female juror, they couldn't give her 28 years because she, this is something she's going to have to live with for the rest of her life and she's so remorseful. Really? You didn't see what it is that I saw up there? Crocodile tears and, and, and pantomiming? If you want to talk about kangaroo court, this is a kangaroo court if I ever saw one. What was this mess? And then they're like, oh, both of them would have forgiven her, but I, I can't speak for him. Yeah, but you are the representatives of the state to get justice for this man. And then this sunken place girl is talking about, oh, if only he had been shot, but not killed, I think he would have forgiven her. Yeah, it's a lot easier to forgive a person if you're alive. But we're not talking about a person who was just shot. We're talking about a person whose life was taken, who was taken off of this earth early and prematurely. Oh, but did you hear that Botham Jean had a hankering for the white gals? There were all of these images that surfaced of him hugged up with white women and even his best friend, his quote unquote best friend, who got on the stand to be a character witness for him was a white woman. So it stands to reason that him and her may have had some sort of, who knows, who knows? Like if my theory about the initiation is way off, what else could it have been? A lover scorned? Someone turned down? Someone ghosted? I want to hear your thoughts, so leave me a voice message with what you think may have happened. I told you what I think, but there are other possibilities as well. We're going to hear from a subscriber why he feels that giving such a lenient sentence is bad for all of us. And it's going to set it up for next time. They're going to be like, well, why would we convict this cop if these black people are just going to love them and forgive them what's the point we might as well just set them free because they don't really want this cop sentenced or convicted of this they don't really want it to happen because look at all the love and all the all the forgiveness that they have so why convict that's what i think that they're showing everybody what state of mind is this what state of mind is this and those are my sentiments exactly. You set the precedent for the cheapness of our lives and you put all of us at danger. Not only that, you further perpetuate this trope that we are here to serve and are here to make you more comfortable. And if the good negras don't, then there's something wrong with those negras. You know, it's like some people are just trained in their privilege to take, take, take. So much so that when they are not being given, they think something's wrong. They're like, oh, something's, something's not right. Because if taking and having is your normal preset, if you don't have and are not able to take, then you have less than what is considered quote unquote normal. And there are some people who see us here in this country as African-Americans and it is just embedded in them to feel that we must be in service and servitude to them. 
If you look and listen to how people are talking about this case, they're skewing this as if Geiger is the victim. Oh, poor Geiger. We couldn't do this to her. Oh, her life is ruined, bitch. This man has no life now because of her. Somebody's future president of the U.S. will never be born now. The inventor of the cure to some catastrophic disease may never be invented in the time it would have been invented. I'm just going to finish off this segment saying I don't believe her. I don't believe her. You could take me blindfolded into an abode without being able to see and I'd be able to tell you whether or not that abode is mine. Every home has a different energy. Every home has different scents and smells and a different vibration that exists inside of that home. And if you're that scared, stay in the hallway. But once you open up that door, if there's something about whatever is going on inside of you that stops you from realizing that you made a terrible mistake. First of all, they said the man was sitting on the couch eating ice cream contradicts her testimony of some figure, couldn't even call him a person, a figure lunging towards her. First of all, anybody ever try to see a black person in the dark? You cannot see him. <laughs> if it's pitch black, you cannot see them. Who's sitting and who's standing around in their own apartment pitch black? <laughs> this is just so ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. If he's sitting on the couch watching TV, eating ice cream, you'd be able to see. I mean, that's not a threat. But then what about the talking that, that Joshua Brown said he heard? But you know what? We could deliberate this as much as we want. What's done is done. And I want to hear your thoughts about it. Stay tuned for the next segment where we jump into this t-shirt that I saw a black man wearing talking about what he thinks child support is for. Stay tuned. Remember, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you give your claps on the episode. Share with a friend. And I will see you in the next segment right after this break. Child support is for absent fathers, not failed relationships. That's what the t-shirt said that this black man was wearing in a Facebook post, which means that somebody went out there and paid money to have this t-shirt made, not only paid money for it to have it made, but somebody else spent money to buy it, to have it with this message on it. And I was so confused by this that I had to post it on my Facebook page because I didn't understand what it was that he was talking about. That child support is for absent fathers? No. Child support and whether or not a person is present has nothing to do with the other. Child support is for support of the child. I mean, you could be coming around every day with lollipop wishes and all sorts of dreams, but that has nothing to do with the care of a child. And I would think that people would have a vested interest in wanting to know and make sure that their child is okay. And I'm really saddened, disappointed, stunned, and startled that it always seems to be some black man, that it always seems to be some black man caught up in this, this argument about not wanting to pay child support. Like child support is some sort of windfall for the mother. First of all, first of all, you're talking about a person who is the 24 hours a day, seven day a week caretaker for that child. 24 seven, when the child is sick, when the child can't sleep at night, when the child needs to get ready in the morning for school and needs to get their shoes on and when the child is young, even wiping their butt. I'm talking about past the pamper stage before kids know how to wipe correctly. And some of these quiet as kept, if you've seen that, that doggone Rothschild chart we saw in the back of that man underwear as he was bending over playing dice. Some of these damn grown men don't even know how to wipe, but that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to the children, the children's. Let's get back to the children's. So you're talking about a person who was there in the fight every single day. You know how much it'll cost to pay a full-time caregiver to take care of this child day in and day out? We're talking about homework after school, doing the child's hair, going shopping, buying their clothes, buying, I'm not even talking about just the regular stuff, but if you wanna get into the stuff that costs money, buying of the clothes and the shoes and the undergarments and the fact that kids grow out of the entire wardrobe every six months. Let's talk about the numbers. Let's jump into the numbers of shelter, car, insurance. 
I w when I posted on the Facebook page, I'm like, first of all, don't you realize that it takes a lot to raise a child? It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of attention, time, commitment. It takes a lot of that to raise a child. And some of these men just want to drop their seed off, just drop their seed, not giving a good goddamn what happens to the child. There were some bitter ass women on the post too who were like, I did it on my own. If he, if he don't want to, why chase behind a man? No, no. It is his responsibility to take care of the children that he creates. This is why the state goes so hard after them that they'll take your license. They'll even put you in jail. And these men over here acting like this is some gigantic windfall. The average black male salary in the United States is $24,000. From what it is that I know of child support, child support takes 16% of that income, which would equal $320 a month and $3,840 for the whole year. There were some men on there who were saying that child support takes 25% of the income, and even if you do the math on that, we're still only talking about $500 a month and $6,000 for the entire year. And people are acting like this is some tremendous windfall. There were women over there who were saying that the child support that their ex-mate was ordered to pay was $6 for the month and that they would complain about paying that. This guy is wearing this t-shirt which talks about, oh, child support is for absent fathers, not for failed relationships, when there seems to be far too many men out there who, because the relationship failed, they don't really seem to have a vested interest in taking care of the seeds that were left behind in this relationship. So that you're over there arguing about giving to the full-time caretaker. And somebody, somebody on, the, on my post had the nerve to be like, I know somebody who's getting $5,000 a month in child support. Really? So we're talking about a person who is making $25,000 a month and you're going to bitch about paying 5000 People who are like, oh, these athletes, you know, these women don't need that amount of money. A child should be afforded the type of lifestyle that the person who is making the most amount of money the type of lifestyle that that person can afford for that child. So if the father is some sort of famous athlete or actor or whatever the case may be, his child should be able to live a life akin to the type of lifestyle that his earnings can afford. Like, why would you as a man, why would you want your child to be in subpar surroundings, having a subpar education, driving around in a subpar vehicle which may or may not break down on the way to where the child got to go. It's like when you start looking into private schools for children, the prices get very expensive, $25,000 a year, etc. Not to mention childcare for just regular children. It's very expensive. Some of you are telling me that childcare costs $400 a week. And we got people who are complaining about spending $320 a month. And if we want to talk about the expenses that a child accrues, so like there were some people on the post, the post is right up there on my Facebook page. You go take a look at it. There's some people on the post who are talking about, well, the mother has to have an apartment anyway. So why should any portion of that apartment fee be the responsibility of the father? Because my argument is this, if the average rent for a two bedroom in New York, I don't know it off the top of my head what the average is, but let's say the average is $2,000 just to keep it an even number. If the average rent is $2,000, that means that half of that money is what the mother contributes to her half and then the mother will also contribute 500 towards the child's half and the father would contribute 500 towards the child's half and then we have utilities electricity and all those other things and there were some men on there who were arguing and it's like you know on Facebook you can see people's profiles and you see that these are black men bona fide black men who are commenting if she got to pay utilities anyway why should I be taking care of her household shouldn't she be taking care of her household she's a grown woman this that and the other a person has a lot more options when they don't have to care for another human being where they stay the neighborhood that they stay in how they choose to stay whether they choose to have a roommate situation or sleep on the floor even sleep in their car these are things that they can't do when they have another human being to take care of to look after needless to say you can't stay in a one bedroom for very long with a child there were some women on there who were 
arguing, well, the child doesn't take up that much space. Why does she have to get a bigger apartment? Because there were other women who were arguing, you know, a child needs their own room. A child requires that you get a multi-bedroom apartment. And there were, oh, there was a woman who was arguing. She was like, why does a child need, need that? And I had to answer, you know, children don't stay small for long. We're talking about 18 damn years. At some point, no matter how small the child is, I remember I used to carry tiara around inside my jacket in the winter time I would zip it up and she would be inside there I give her a little space to breathe and I carry her around in my jacket how long you think I could carry her around in my jacket for at some point she's gonna outgrow that baby carrier at some point she's gonna outgrow the little shoes and by the time some of these kids are teenagers damn it they eating more than you and me. And it's like you put your seed into this world and you are fighting against properly taking care of this seed. We're talking about making a human. You create an entire human being, a person who didn't ask to be here. You two rub genitals together and then here comes this brand new entity into the world. And this person caretakes for this child 24 hours, seven days a week. Can't go to the bathroom on their own. Gotta arrange for the child to be picked up and dropped off in the morning. They come home with the homework and the assignments and the projects. And you're tying shoes in the morning. Doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, immunization, checkups, primary care doctor visits, breakfast in the morning, packed lunch, snacks for the after-school program, child care for the days that the child has off from school because of school closings or national holidays, oiling up faces in the winter, going shopping for the winter coats and, and making the Christmases and the, and the holidays and going out trick-or-treating and getting costumes and arranging play dates and having birthday parties and all this of you raising a human being not to mention if you want your child to have any type of extracurricular activities including sports music dance a child is a full-time commitment and you're there in the fight each day each day where you've taken your life and you've put your life on the back burner to be able to care for this new human being who never asked to be here. And then you have a person fighting you about paying the bare minimum, 16%. There was one guy who said he's paying 50% of his salary to, to child support. And I asked him, I said, well, how many children do you have? And were you current on your child support payments? And the man never answered me back. He didn't answer me back. And I'm like, you sitting up here crying and complaining about your own irresponsibility, whether it was irresponsible in you just taking your penis and sticking it hither and thither, or you were irresponsible by getting into arrears so that you had to pay back support plus penalties or whatever was on there. And people talking about, oh, it's never a good idea to get the government in your business. I'm sorry, especially if you're not with that person. It's a good idea to have everything in writing. Get everything calculated and you don't have to pay this person and meet up and the person doesn't keep coming up. Well, oh, I, I need this. I need that. You just ha you have your set amount that you're responsible for. You pay that set amount and it's on the record. It's accounted for. And there's no, oh, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. It's all there. And we have people who are arguing and fighting against that. And then let me tell you what it is that I saw that I thought was just so perplexing. I saw this post. I was looking to try to save it, but you know how Facebook is, you know, it's like it refreshes the page on its own now to keep your feed moving. It's like you, you got to catch it when you see it. But from what I remember, and I don't know how many of you out there have seen this post, but the post was like, black women say niggas ain't shit. Society says niggas ain't shit. Police say niggas ain't shit. Let's kill niggas. And then it was going down this whole list of all this other stuff. And the guy was like, rather than saying all of that, what would it be like if, if you all spoke positive, uplifting words to us? What, what would we be then? And I'm thinking to myself, nigga, you can't be effing serious. You cannot be effing serious. It's like you want people to stand up there. And give you claps and accolades for doing what? 
For doing what? For doing what? Black men own and control no commodity that other people come to and need that commodity. Black men own and control no industry that other people come to and need that resource. Even the illegal trade that so many black men are spending time in jail for right now are owned and controlled by other people. Even the physical prowess of his own sportsmanship is owned and controlled by other people. So much so that if Kaepernick decided that he's going to kneel to protest against injustice against people that make up 80% of the industry, he can't do it. People are still afraid of losing a paycheck. You make up 80% of the industry. Without you, there is no industry. And you're still there on the auction block being sold, traded, and downgraded at the whims of other men. I'm just so tired of this trope. Over and over and over again. It's like they're begging and pleading to, to please uplift me, support me, do this for me, uh, speak life into me. But when you look and you look and you look on the flip side and you ask, what is it that you're doing for me to speak life into? What, what are you, what are you contributing? When we talk about even children, you got to stand up there fussing and fighting about paying to take care of a life that you created. Meanwhile, people are talking about, oh, black women kill more black children than the KKK. So those be the same babies that they don't want us to abort. They don't want you to abort the babies. But they don't want to participate in such a way that'll make these babies viable, productive, outstanding citizens of society. It's like this starts young. We have to pour into our children, pour into their education, pour into their upbringing. And we need to pour time and attention into them. So many of these men complain about, oh, how, how their children are turning out, how society is turning out, how black women are doing this. They're raising these boys. Yes, because you were not there. And she did the best that she could. You weren't there. You weren't there to instill the lessons. You weren't there to speak life into your daughter. And then you turn around and you start talking about how other women's daughters, the daughters that those men poured into, you start talking about how they're better when you didn't pour into your own. I went to the rodeo this past weekend. And when I was at the rodeo, it's so interesting being in a rodeo in California. Because, you know, California has such a, a Western and Spanish history. So there were these Native American or Latina young ladies who were riding horses side saddle. And they had on their big flowing gowns that looked like something that could have come from the, from the 1900 with the embroidery and the, and the wide circle skirt and the petticoats underneath. And they were riding in the traditional style of side saddle. And the young ladies were riding and performing their exercises with the horses and going in the circles and trolloping and galloping along. And when the performance was over and it was a beautiful performance, they came out to the audience and they sat down in a section in the audience. And the man who was sitting right next to me said, look there, you see five girls and you see five fathers. And I looked down there and I saw the five girls sitting with their dresses and, and all of that. And then you saw five cowboy hats of the men sitting right next to them. And he said, they ain't going to let nobody come near their daughters. Nobody is going to be able to come next to them. Those fathers are sitting there protecting them. And I looked and I sat and I saw that nobody did come up. Nobody came to bother the girls. No boys were coming whispering in their ear. Nothing. They sat there. Their fathers were there and they were protected. So here we have on the one hand, we got black men talking about applaud me. 
applaud me. Why won't you applaud me? And I'm like, what in the F are we applauding you for? What is it that you're doing? What is the extraordinary accomplishment? Listen, women love to love up on someone. And when a man is doing right, yes, he will be applauded. But as a collective, when you're sitting there talking about, oh, maybe if you spoke better to us, we would be better men. Maybe if you were better men, people would speak better to you. I have to admit, even I, as I was sitting there, seeing one black man after another black man after another black man talk about why he doesn't feel like he should have to pay child support, that it's not supposed to be a windfall for the mother. Trust and believe that child, the upkeep and maintenance of that child costs money. It costs far more than a few hundred dollars a month. I remember I was speaking to a mother many, many years ago, and she was like, you know what? I wish that I could give this baby to the father. I wish that the father would take this baby full time so that I could go out and get the type of job that would be able to pay him for watching the child full time. I would pay him because the type of job that I would be able to get if I didn't have to be in the constant care of this child, if I didn't have to be the primary and only caregiver of this child, the type of job that I would be able to get, the types of things that I would be able to do, because parents know your schedule has to flow around the schedule of your child getting in and out of school or daycare. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no, oh, I'm working late, or oh, I, I, I'm going away, or oh, I'll, I'll be back in a few months. None of that. You got to be there every single day on time to pick up your child, and you got to drop your child off on time. Some of these places close the doors and your child can't get in if you come there late. And these people complaining about paying on average somewhere between $320 to $500 a month, where the $500 a month cannot cover everything, the utilities, the upkeep, the food, the clothes, the house, the car that the child needs to ride in. It can't cover all of that. And then I go to a rodeo and I see a man talking about how these fathers are sitting there making sure that no one comes near their daughters. No one. And it's like, you don't care for the seed that you bring into this world. How can anybody respect you? Who's going to respect you when you don't even give a damn about the fruit of your loins? The human being with your DNA that you brought into this world that you don't give a fuck about. How can anybody respect you? You going off with your life, moving to another state. You know what? We were talking about this on a broadcast. How when men petition for custody, the women's rights are absconded. But most men don't petition for custody. Most men don't petition. And then they give these sad sob stories. They meet a new woman. This is why, look, I get turned off. I meet you and we, oh, how many children do you have? I have two children. They live in Florida, but you living in New York. Oh, I got children that live in Trinidad, but you living in South Carolina. Oh, I got children back home, but you living here. You made some life and you living in another state. Children need daily interaction. They require daily maintenance. And you talking about you someplace else and then they start complaining, "Oh, she don't she don't she don't let me see my child. They took go to the court, motherfucker. Go to the courts and petition." What are you talking about? I remember I had a friend and his girl tried to pull that mess. She tried to pull, oh, you're not going to see your child. He went right down to the goddamn courthouse and petitioned. That shit got shut down real quick. He's like, no, this is my child. I cannot leave my daughter in care and I don't know how my child is being cared for. He was like, I cannot leave my child out there and I don't know how my child is doing, whether my child is sleeping all right, whether my child ate full meals, whether my child is dressed properly, whether whether my child has on proper coats in the winter, whether my child is asking for me. I cannot be a silent party. I cannot be elsewhere when my child is there. The woman threatened that she was going to move to another state. He went to the courts, shut that shit down. She could not move. She could not move. And we got so many bitch ass niggas out here talking about, I didn't have no choice. So I, the choice was out of my hands. No motherfucker, you's a lie. You's a lie. That's your child. A human being with the DNA of your father, your father's father and your ancestors inside that child. And you just leave that child out in the world to fend for themselves. You don't know if their shoes are too small. You don't know if they're eating at night. My father was orphaned and he didn't have an example 
of what a good father looks like. And when I asked my father, I said, well, what was it? If you didn't have a good example, what was it that made you decide to stick around and be a good father? And he said, I knew that I could not be out there somewhere in the world and not know whether or not my children were fed. I couldn't be out there and not know whether or not my children needed something or if their bellies were empty or if they were cold at night. I could not be out there and know that my children could be out there suffering. And so he said, even though I didn't have a good example of what a father looks like, what a father is like, I surrounded myself with men who I thought had those characteristics. So it's like at this point, black men, what is your excuse? It's like all I hear excuses, excuses, excuses of why we can't, why you can't. It's like you got your daughters out there with no paternal protection, no paternal guidance, no paternal lessons. You got your sons out there not learning how to be a man from you. And you got other men out there giving you a pass so that <clears throat> so that they condone the bad behavior of other men. I once heard a guy say, you know what? I can't have no man in my circle who is not taking care of his kids. And I applaud that. I applaud that. And it's a damn shame that most of the lessons about relationships that men get from other men is how to fuck three and four women bad bitches a night. It's how to fuck them and duck them. When are men going to stand up and start schooling other men? When are men going to stand up and start collectively building with other men instead of looking to women? God, the most unprotected beings in our society. You look into women to give from their resources inside to hold you up instead of the other way around. Where are the men to have these entrepreneurial classes with other men? Where is the agricultural business so that we can control our food supply? Where's the textile business so that we could control the clothes that we wear? Where's the construction company so that we can pave the roads? Where are the men who are truly about building black America? Instead, they're diluting, running here and there, talking about how this man's daughter is better and that other man's daughter is better because those men poured into their daughters. Those men protected their daughters. We're talking about living in an existence where if Caucasian America decided to cut off our food supply, we would starve because we do not own any agribusiness. That if they cut off our clothing supply, we would be out here naked because we don't control our own textiling. And it's like none of this is dawning on anybody. We sitting up here crying and crying and crying about our children getting slaughtered down in the streets. Where is our police force? Where is our black men standing up and saying, listen, if the police won't police, then we're going to police the police. The Panthers did a little bit of that in the 60s, but then there was also a lot of misogyny inside of the ranks of the Panthers as well. But that's a story for another day. But those men did stand up and say, if the police are not going to police, then we're going to police the police. Where is that today? Instead, what we have are a bunch of people bowing their heads, asking for forgiveness from the people who continue to harm us. You know what? I went over for this segment. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the Ask Tanya TKO letter in the next segment. I'm going to try to stay on time for that one. But I want to hear your thoughts. Send me some voice messages. Make sure you share. Make sure you like the podcast. Make sure you join my personal mailing list because I'm going to create a way for a text message to be sent to you when I upload a video or create a new podcast. Go out there and love one another, but most importantly, love yourself. And part of loving yourself is taking the time to heal yourself. All ADOS went through slavery in this country. However, at what point do we start saying, you know what, it's time to heal. It's time to reach back and each one teach one. 
It's time to be a man and do the things that I'm biologically programmed to do. We cannot help the past. We cannot help if we sustained trauma in our younger years. But what we can help is we can help whether or not we continue to make excuses. Does your life feel right to you? We can help whether or not we continue to pass the buck and pass the blame. At some point, we have to look within and be like, you know what? I want a different way. I want a different way. Instead of working on creating masterful children, instead of being like, my child is going to have the best education, my child is going to have the best experiences, be exposed to different cultures, be exposed to travel and music and, and be exposed to the arts. My child is going to learn how to philosophize and how to use his or her mind. My child is going to, to be an upstanding, my child, my offspring, the fruit of my loins is going to have the best that this life can offer. Instead of creating masterful children who are going to shape and control where it is that we go as a people, instead we are one, diluting ourselves, two, deluding ourselves, and three, we are creating you know what? Let me explain those last two. When I say diluting ourselves, I mean that we're going out there preferring European features, diluting our offspring, diluting our melanin towards the next generation, to diluting ourselves, tricking ourselves into believing these lies, and then three, creating a permanent underclass of Negroid people so that the best and the brightest are those with European DNA mixed in with them. And so that the people in the ghettos acting like animals, shooting at one another, ducking and dodging bullets, robbing and victimizing each other are all Negroid people. So that when they see a Negroid face, they're, oh, I'm frightened. It's a Negroid. I'm a scared. I'm scared. But then they see, then they see the person who's mixed and then they're like, oh, well, you're a little more palpable. Meanwhile, part of your resources are being siphoned off to another community. And those are the children that they want to invest in. So they invest in those children and those children become the upper class and the Negroid melanated children become the lower class. How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? So listen, on that note, I want to hear your thoughts. Leave me a voice message on this platform. Be sure to support the podcast and ways that you can support. You can sign up to contribute monthly. You can listen all the way through, even to the advertisements. You can share with your friends and tell them to share with their friends. Tanya TKO signing out with Goddess Off The Grid episode number two. Be sure to come to tanyatko.com where you can join my mailing list by downloading your free hypnotherapeutic MP3 to relax. There you can also find the Self-Love Affirmations Workbook as well as other hypnotherapeutic MP3s to help you release stress as well as to forgive. And there you'll also see the course, Will My Man Be Wealthy? so that you know whether or not you have a man that has the characteristics that you would invest in or divest from.